I'm recording this intro live from Nashville, Tennessee. That's right, we just got done doing a Kill Tony show there. And it is uh, 1.08 in the morning, East Coast time, Eastern Standard Time. And yeah, we're, we're doing a Dirty South style. Yeah, that's right. Had a good had a good week, guys. Mm-hmm. How long am I gonna stay with this accent for for this intro? Maybe the whole thing. Who knows? Okay. Who has any freaking clue what's going on? But I hope everything's good in your life. Hope things are going well. Hope this episode is uh, encouraging and uplifting to your mood. Maybe you're in a bad mood. Well, let's put you in a good mood. What do you say, baby? What do you say, huh? <laughs> Oh, sweet southern women. What do you say, baby? Hmm? <laughs> Using those those babies, throwing those around. You okay, pudding? I love the way southern southern women speak. We have um a Midwestern lady on the program today, Julie Sebaugh, and she is a writer and an author of a new book that we talk about about the first five years of roast battle. Yeah, she she witnessed a good chunk of that. She uh, she started watching the show about eight months in and really saw how much the show has grown and expanded over the last five years. And she wrote a book about it. And your boy is in it. I'm quoted in it. There's pictures of me and the wave and everybody. It's, it's fantastic. So if you're a fan of Roast Battle, definitely check out that book. Uh, we'll talk about it more as the episode goes on. But yeah, I like having different guests on that are not exclusively comedians. It brings a different energy to the show, and I like throwing a little bit of curveballs to you listeners. So this is a fun one. I think you will enjoy it. Julie's a great person. I've known her for a long time. And I think you will enjoy the book, too, if you check that out as well. I want to thank everybody uh, who came out to Lexington, Kentucky to see me, Brian Redband, Tony Hinchcliffe there over the weekend, and then uh, we close it out with a Kill Tony in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, it was amazing. Had some great shows. Thank you, uh, everybody who, you know, got those inflatable saxes or uh, some CDs or, or uh, you know, stickers, Reagan Watkins stickers, Jeremiah Wonder stickers, all that stuff. I appreciate the support, guys. And I, uh, I made the mistake. I don't want to say I made the mistake because it was fantastic. I ate at Hattie B's, which is a phenomenal hot chicken place here in Nashville, referred to me by the great late Ralphie May. The last time I was in Nashville was about a year and a half ago, I believe. Maybe it was longer than that, around April, I think, 2017. And I was asking for food suggestions from Ralphie because he always knew different spots and he's, you know, lived in Nashville. So I knew that he would have the the DL on great food. And he's like, you got to go to Hattie B's, man. You got that hot chicken. So freaking good. But uh, it wrecked my stomach. I got a little bit too hot. Your boy went hard in the paint. I have a high tolerance for heat. And Hattie B's freaking whooped my behind. And uh, I can just hear Ralphie laughing at me for getting too hot of chicken. Because I was like literally crying and my nose was running earlier. And my stomach is still a little um, a little, a little upset tum-tum on your boy. But uh, worth every minute of it. So freaking good. Yeah, guys. Sponsors of the show, Speedweed. Want to say thank you to them and Bronx Born Pizza at Speedweed on Twitter. 
You like marijuana? Man, Ralphie used to have these giant freezer bags full of of marijuana that he'd give to Tony or whoever's, especially if you were in Nashville. Just a ridiculous amount of weed that he would he would give you and uh, and break you off. Um, anyway, uh, we've been thinking a lot about Ralphie. You know, we drove from Kentucky into Nashville, and uh, you know, Tony was just reminiscing about him. Tony is even closer than uh, with Ralphie than than I was, and uh, you know, he's like, "This just sucks." We're driving into Nashville right now, and usually I'd be texting Ralphie to see if we would be getting lunch or we could go to his house and hang out. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, one of those sucky situations not to bring anybody down, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, still sucks, still stings sometimes. Uh, whenever you remember good friends, especially whenever they, they, uh, you know, he lived super close to Zany's in Nashville and that was one of his home, home clubs that, uh, he performed at. So speedweed, Get uh, that marijuana delivery service, the icky sticky, the green green, the blueberry, bronze bone pizza. What a good pairing. Bend, Oregon. Get your pizza on. Yeah, they got that bagel crust. Yeah, you got to get your hands on some bagel crust pizza. It's freaking fantastic. And if you want to sponsor the show, email your boy Jeremiah Watkins at gmail.com. Or if you just want to make a donation, you can go to jeremiahwonders.com and click on the PayPal link. Anything is appreciated and helps this podcast going. So thank you guys. I wanted to uh, keep up the um, invitation for musicians and artists to send in music so I can feature it in the intro. And that's what I'm going to do right now, uh, uh, right before I get into the Kindness Challenge and then uh, do some quick tour dates. But the featured artist this week is uh, Nexus Pro Music. He's an up-and-coming rap artist and producer from Modesto, California. And you can check out some of his other beats and his other catalog at nexuspromusic.com. And right now I'm going to play one of his songs called No Limit. My dad made this. My dad made this. Nexus. 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 So, I wanted to continue the kindness challenge. I want you guys to keep emailing me your stories. If you don't know what that is, every week I challenge you guys to do something. Just add a kindness of your heart for a stranger, or it could be somebody that you know. Just pay something forward, do something nice for somebody. It's a challenge to you. Maybe you weren't going to do something. Maybe it's just a reminder to get you to do something nice for somebody else. That's what the challenge is. And uh, I haven't mentioned uh, myself uh, some 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 kind things that I've been trying to do lately, and uh, I want to remind you guys that I am still doing it, and encourage you guys to keep doing it as well. So, I did something simple that uh, definitely qualifies for this. Um, it's been really hot in Los Angeles lately, and uh, I don't tell you the guys these stories to be like, oh, I'm doing nice things. It's to encourage people, other people, uh, the listeners of the show to branch out and do something nice uh, yourself. So here's just a simple example. Been really hot in Los Angeles lately. The last couple times I went to Ralph's to do some grocery shopping or uh, go to the bank or whatever, I've just gotten some cold bottles of water from the inside and I've just given them to a couple different homeless people that were hanging out outside of Ralph's that were looking really rough. And, you know, uh, 
I'm, I'm fortunate whenever I go on the road that uh, people are, are great and make donations to me. So I want to pay it forward, you know, and something so simple that, that you can do uh, is just give water to somebody who's thirsty, you know. So uh, that was uh, that was what I did. Just gave some cold water to some different homeless people the last couple trips that I've made to the grocery store. And it can be as simple as that. So I encourage you to do something similar in the same vein or um, just anything nice, whatever you want. Get creative, you know. And it can be for somebody that you know. All right, I'm done. Uh, I'm done going crazy on the the kindness challenge. I don't want to beat a dead horse with this thing, you know. I just uh, you, you know I just want that positive energy flowing around. You know what I'm saying, people? Just want to do a, a couple quick tour date plugs. Uh, stand up on the spot Tuesday, August 14th. That's almost sold out with Burt Kreischer, Theo Von, Brendan Schaub, the Smash Brothers. Uh, they're the guys who used to open for Ralphie and knew him better than anybody. So I'm very excited to have them on the show. And uh, we're doing a special musical improv performance by Midnight Snack. That's with Josh Adam Myers, Avery Pearson on the keys, and me on saxophone. And then your boy is just doing a set as well. So come to that. And then Wednesday, August 15th, Reagan Watkins is headlining the rec room in Huntington Beach. And uh, guess who's featuring? Malcolm Hatchett and Joel Jimenez from Kill Tony. That's right. Joel Berg is coming as well as Malcolm. That's Wednesday, August 15th. The Rec Room in Huntington Beach. That's coming up this week. And you get to see Pat and I, your boy, do a longer uh, music set. And yes, our album's coming. It's been delayed. The engineer's uh, been uh, behind. He's been a little bit busy with some stuff. Uh, but we're staying on him, and we're still trying to get this thing out in the next couple months, trying to make that happen. Then Sunday, August 26th, Reagan and Watkins is headlining Valley Bar in Phoenix, Arizona. What? We're coming to Phoenix, baby. And guess what? We're bringing Joel Berg to that. Sunday, August 26th, Valley Bar in Phoenix, Arizona. Reagan and Watkins, baby. So excited. Uh, been on the road a lot. Excited for a little bit of downtime with my lady. And, uh, you know, without further ado, I want to get into this podcast. Thank you guys so much for the support. I think you guys are going to like this one. It's a little di- bit different take on the podcast. Still some fun. Collins. The reach of this podcast, like I always say, you never know who's going to call in. So here we go. Without further ado, please welcome Julie Seabaugh to Jeremiah Wonders. You grew up on a farm? I grew up on a farm in Missouri. What? I love meeting people from and knowing people. Knowing people. I don't know why I said meeting people. I love uh, encountering other people that uh, are from the Midwest, but... A farm, that's a whole nother area where I, what was that like? Agricultural. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I am originally from a farm in Missouri with no cable. Uh, We had four channels. I had, you know, to go out and tassel corn. There were fishing ponds. There were a couple of rabbits. There's donkeys. Uh, my dad hauled rocks around in a dump truck. Wow. I'm a farmer's daughter. My uh, my big pop drove a dump truck, and I went with him once to work, and uh, I was like, I shadowed him, and it was, uh, I never wanted to do it again. <laughs> it was just, you sit for so long in between, you know, the dumping. <laughs> and the reloading. And the reloading. And then you repeat. And then rinse and repeat. And Keep it's going to different dusty spots. and you're like jostled around. Yeah. And there's not a lot to do other than like, oh, how many rocks do we have in this load? How many more do we need? Counting rocks. 
boy howdy let's make some money <laughs> and i'm saying boy howdy like i'm from missouri boy howdy um, y'all did you did did your family have any kind of twang or accents i've sometimes you're probably still hearing it now i definitely always still hear in my mind Little missouri hints. accent i uh until i moved away from kansas I didn't know. I was unaware that my mom and some of my family members had a little bit just on certain things, <laughs> but for the most part, the the Midwestern accent, like barring like you know some of like the the Minnesotas and stuff like that, like the that Midwestern is like a very bland, just like straightforward pronunciation I think you're of everything. Looking for the word redneck. Um, no, redneck is more like, it's like a lot more twang in your voice and, and and you got, you got more, it weighs a little bit more heavy on your throat. That's what I consider more of a redneck. Like, well, I mean, we were technically a little bit closer to Arkansas than St. Louis. Okay. Then definitely there's probably a a little bit more accent. Yeah. This is uh, the Southeast in the boot heel, as they call it. And, uh, yeah, there was not a lot to do. There was, like, the movie theater and Hobby Lobby. And that was about it. Hanging out at Walmart on the weekends. That's a true thing. People really do that. I did that. I would go there uh, on the weekends. Uh, A buddy would bring, like, an acoustic guitar. We would, like, riff songs, just, like, do music improv. And then uh, we'd, we'd skate around Walmart parking lots on, like, Friday and Saturday nights. Living it up. But... The good thing about that is you're forced to be a little bit more creative because there's less to do. So you're like, all right, well, what can we come up with? Like, what can we imagine? <laughs> like, like before I even knew what, like, you know, the outdoor, you, you see it all the time, like at the comedy store and, and outside different uh, comedy venues, you'll see comedians kind of like kind of huddled around in a circle and they're just like riffing for so long, just like just talking about whatever. And I used to do that in high school. We literally just used to uh, go to my buddy Joe Grace's. He'd have this room uh, where he had like black lights in it. And there's like, uh, he had this uh, this pizza box that was on the wall. And anybody who hung out in that room had to sign the pizza box before they left. It was just like a thing. It was like a part of our, our hangout. And we would just riff and like beatbox and like come up with songs. We'd just do that for hours. And, and then like later on, whenever I was became a comedian, I'm like, Oh, we were just riffing like for for hours, and I'm like, I still enjoy it just as much as I did back then. See, I was stuck on the pizza box thing. I was like, Oh, I'm connecting a few dots with right. you. You're always trying to be cool enough to sign the pizza box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I I sat home and read was my whole thing. Yeah, lots of books. Lots of books. Well, it makes Reading, sense writing. because there's a book right here. Oh snap! What? Wow. Ringside at Roast Battle, The First Five Years of L.A.'s Fight Club for Comedians by Julie Sebaugh. And uh, I just want to wish you uh, congratulations on this. This is so cool to have a freaking, you hear that? That's a hard copy. There's there's paper there's and everything. Paper. There's chapters. It's a real thing. There's there's pictures yeah, by the great pic- Troy's pictures. Troy Conrad that's in here. Great, just moments from over the years. There's a whole entire chapter on, well, it's called The Wave, which includes The Wave, and like Earl and Whitney and Cena and Josh and a little bit of Boone in there and yeah. just kind of 
all the cast of characters that came together organically to uh, create this mayhem controlled by Brian Moses. That's, uh, yeah, now at five years. So I kind of wanted to capture it in a way. You know, there's a few dramatic moments in there. Yeah. Uh, a few opposing viewpoints on certain things. And I don't know, it's just a fascinating story to me of how this show started as an accident at the open mic that no one went to. And they were stopping Kenny Lyon and Josh Martin from fist fighting. And now it's had three seasons on Comedy Central yeah. and TV versions in Mexico and, you know, South Africa and the UK, where it was the most popular UK Comedy Central show their, ever. Their number one show. Highest like, in ratings ever. Yeah. Like, how does that happen in five years? So I, I just, I have this hunch it's going to be... A very important, very influential show in the future. I, in my mind, and you know, I've been writing about comedy for 15 years here. So I uh, like to think I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but yeah, from the first moment I saw it, uh, which was about eight months into it, I was like, I think this is going to be important in like a second city kind of way. Okay. Yeah. Or a, you know, UCB kind of way. The, you know, looking at uh, Harvard Lampoon sort of stuff. People are going to, I think, want to know this story at some point. Yeah. So someone's going to write about it. Might as well be me. Heck yeah. I, and, you know, it, it, it's kind of cool. Like I, I was going over it uh, uh, before you got here. And it's it's pretty surreal to be, like for being somebody who's involved with Rose Battle, who's been involved pretty early on with the show, to read just to read about it like history, like it's a book, if that makes sense. Does it like it's, it's almost it's, a book? No, it it's it, it a, is yeah. a book. It's just weird. It, like I guess it's hard to me for me to express. Like I'm like, I, like that's us. Like you know what I mean? It's it's like it's <laughs> when so, it says Jeremiah Watkins. I'm like what? Like that was me that said that. Yeah. Um. Just the. It's just a surreal. Uh feeling and uh i remember when you actually first started coming by roast battles before you and i really knew each other very well and uh i had been to a stand up on the spot at the what was it called three, three clubs? clubs yes yeah. and uh so whenever you started coming by roast battle regularly i'm like this is this is a big deal julie Seabaugh is coming by she's like she thinks this this show is cool because if you are not familiar with Julie's work, uh, she's covered just amazing comedy moments, different comedians over the years. Uh, you're you're an author. You're uh, I I don't want to use the word um, blogger ever, uh, but you, Thank you you cover um, you cover great moments through basically comedy history in L.A. and different like eras like over the years. I used to be a writer in Las Vegas, right? Yeah, that was the only uh, actual job I've ever had as an adult. <laughs> so I uh, went to University of Missouri, got out of the farm, uh, and now just... are your parents supportive of you? Because if you're on a farm and you're like, I want to go, you know, pretty far away and do kind of, you know, a show busy kind of job, are your parents supportive in that setting, or did do they get it? Do they not understand it? I, I don't think they entirely know what it is I do. Mm -hmm. Every time there's you know a holiday conversation or something, it's like, so you you write a thing, and then you see if they want to 
pay you for it. Like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's the gist, <laughs> I guess. If you want to put it at, if you want to say it like yeah. that. But it's I, you know, that's a whole other conversation about Midwestern mentality. But needless to say, I kind of from a young age knew I wanted to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at University of Missouri, I was in the magazine club. And every year, the magazine club took a trip to New York to visit, uh, like, alumni at work at their jobs at magazines. That's awesome. So I went to New York three times in college, and I was like, I'm moving to New York. That has to be super inspiring as a younger person, like, being, like, pretty small town in Missouri and you getting to go with your peers out to New York, and you're like, this, this is what I want to (laughs) do. Yeah, and that was when journalism was a thing. So uh, I had a lot of optimism about it. <laughs> yeah. We we did um I used to do uh I started off before getting into to stand up and uh and improv. I started off doing broadcasting and like filmmaking and we took uh, a trip out to Los Angeles in whenever I was a junior or senior and it was like a giant field trip where we had like all the paperwork signed by the parents mm-hmm. and like we had our broadcast teachers we went out to this convention and had to do news stories like within 24 hours and all this stuff. And that was one of those moments where it was like one of my first times out to LA. I was like, this, this is it. This is where I want to be. This is like the land of opportunity. (laughs) How stupid we were. (laughs) Ah. Boy. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like at Mizzou, uh, Dave Attell came and did a show my senior year. And this was at the height of insomniac and he got us all drunk and I was, uh, I'd already been writing about film and music and thought that's what I, th- I thought I was going to write about film. And yeah. then with, after David Tell got us drunk, I woke up on my friend Dan's floor, like puking, like, I like this comedy thing. I think there's something there. Yeah. And I moved to New York immediately after I graduated. I uh, was there about three years and then got the Las Vegas weekly job staff writer which wasn't comedy specific but you know there's a lot of comedy that comes through vegas obviously yeah um i did have a comedy blog then it's called all encompassingly named after the mitch hedberg bit <laughs> that's awesome i can't uh yeah it's, it's hard to explain to anybody who's like that what's the name of the encompass whatever you yeah. spell that <laughs> yeah yeah um and that was about another three years until the recession hit and then journalism was done forever. So I've been freelance ever since. Uh, was back in New York. Uh, then I was out here, then back in New York. This is my second time I've been living in L.A., and it's been a little over four years this time. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to stay. Okay. Other good. than right now, uh, I like the weather, except for it's very, right now. Yeah, it's very hot right now. Yeah. Is that now, as a stand-up, uh, you can relate to this as well. It's very freelance. You have no idea, really, a lot of times when the next gig is around the corner. Is that scary for you as a writer? Uh, like, basically submitting work and and not knowing if it's going to get picked up because, like, I've submitted writing packets and stuff like that. I've kind of gone through that feeling. of was like, ah, I think this is good. And then you get that, like... You, sometimes you don't hear anything or you get a no or whatever. Uh, how has that been over the years for you? Like the ups and downs of having to like deal with that mentally? Uh, it sucks. I've always had a lot of anxiety and, you know, I mean, they have to deal with 
panic attacks sometimes and I'm on Wellbutrin and I'm not ashamed to say it because it's kept me alive in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's definitely points of time where it's like, what the hell am I doing? There's no money in this. There's never going to be any money in this. And then I get like the opportunity to write about Bridget Everett on the cover of the Village Voice for her first cover ever. And it was like Rose Battle too. It was like, this girl is going places. I'm yeah. going to do this. And every time I get a story like that, it's like, you know what? You've been doing this for 15 years. You kind of have a decent reputation built up. People sort of know who you are. Not sure what's happening there. But it did sound kind of cool. I have a reputation, 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 (laughs) reputation. I don't know. I occupy a kind of unique place now. And it took a while to get here. And as broke as I am all the time, there's still a lot of things that I like about it that keep me doing it. There's no reason to waste time doing something I hate. And that was kind of part of getting out of Missouri in the first place. Like, this is my life, damn it. Insert Bon Jovi song here. And it's if it doesn't... It's now <laughs> That's never. the one. I don't want to live forever. <laughs> or Billy Joel, maybe, would be another... Uh, oh, yeah, wait, what's... This is the first more. This is my life. <laughs> oh, yeah. your own life. Leave me alone. So that's the stuff I do. Mm-hmm. Singing the Billy Joel songs in my head while I'm uh, eating ramen. You know, Wellbutrin and Billy Joel is a strong combination. <laughs> That's the good stuff. It's the writer's toolbox. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's so cool. It's like, uh, man, the the transition from Vegas to L.A., was that tough? Or were were you kind of making a lot of relationships along the way that it was a little bit easier to transition like while meeting different comics and stuff like that. Oh yeah. While in Vegas. Well, the uh, I, there was a stint back in New York between Vegas and the first time in LA. Uh, in Vegas, I had met Doug Stanhope. I covered uh, his presidential run in 2007 when he was a Libertarian candidate, and he had the <laughs> desert parties out in Death Valley, and I drove out there. And knocked on his hotel. I'd set it up beforehand. I wasn't just showing up out of nowhere. And knocked on his hotel door. And he opened it and kissed me. And that was how that was how I met Doug Stanhope the first time. Wow. <laughs> and hung out there and was drunk and you know shrooms and all that stuff for a couple of days. Um, I also met his manager Brian Hinnigan, the filthy Scotsman who he talks about, who I was married to for three years. Uh, so that's what brought me out to LA the first time. Oh wow! So I know I had no idea about Nobody that. Nobody does. Wow! You heard it here first on Jeremiah Wonders, everybody. Uh, it's a scoop. That's great. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's great. No, it's just I'm I'm thinking about it. It's just like one of those things where it's like you get immersed in a world that you like, and you're starting to be. It's it's why it's so common that that comedians marry. Uh, like waitresses at comedy clubs you're around something that you both like appreciate and have a love for and then you you know i find it really hard to have conversations about anything that's not comedy normal people are so boring it's uh it's a little scary sometimes uh but you know what like uh i i've i've learned to kind of appreciate it whenever i go on the road 
I'm like, this is good for me to not talk <laughs> exclusively about comedy. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's good every, you know, every once in a while to kind of reset, but it's sometimes a challenge whenever I go back home to Kansas and uh, if somebody doesn't follow it, like at all, but which I mean, that's probably how some people feel. Like uh, I don't follow the UFC very closely, right? And uh, that's probably how they feel whenever they talk to me. Whenever they start being like, "Oh, you watch a fight?" And I'm like, "Nah, I, <laughs> I didn't. I, I have no idea what you're talking about." Yeah, a lot of comedians like that. Big crossover. WWE is that a thing? Uh, UFC? That's wrestling. UFC is yeah. That's uh, that's MMA. That's sports. Sports. Hey, welcome back to Sports Talk <laughs> with uh, Julie Sheba and Jeremiah Watkins. And uh, uh, UFC, they uh, they have uh, yeah they they got uh, they got paddles, right? <laughs> that would be a good podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two people know nothing. Yeah, yeah. Analyzing. So now uh, the, I just watched a UFC uh, game, and uh, <laughs> you know uh, I think that the rebound uh, is going to affect uh, how many points the competitor's going to get. What do you think about that? Well, it's interesting to see Andre Agassi making a big comeback. With uh, <laughs> he's, huge, he's huge in the UFC now, I hear. Andre Agassi. Quite the temper on that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah this, actually, tennis is the one thing I did kind of follow, sort of, for a little while. Because when I was broke in New York, I worked at the U.S. Tennis Center. During the open, I worked for American Express at an info booth. This was so long ago, (laughs) Uh, way before Vegas and everything else. Uh, Yeah, so I kind of understood there's something about a person with just a one-on-one, like it's like comedy in a way because they have their racket and comedy has their microphone Mm -hmm. and it's just you. It's not a team thing. You can do sketch, obviously, but stand-up's better. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's your brain that makes you win or lose. Yeah. So that I I do kind of like tennis a little bit. A lot of it's but mental. Other than that, Just the back and yeah, forth. Absolutely. Is the audience gonna like that? Oh, you like that? Huh? Spanking that? Going? I'll give you the backhand sometimes. Rebounds. You're not a good audience. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes there's a hate. Love relationship, you oh, know. Scoring joke. Hello, trying my best right now. <laughs> Man, I used to play a uh, racquetball with my dad, and uh, I'd get so mad. I, I, have you ever been a competitive person? I used to be more. Yeah. Before I did my entire life alone. <laughs> that make. I I was definitely more when I cared about other things than writing about comedy on a freelance capacity. Right. Because <laughs> it's just very single-minded and, and narrow scope, and I, I I am only competing with myself. Yeah. Do you now? Do you have um like instances where uh you have a voice that kind of comes to your mind like I I need to write like Do you have that that thing or anything like that where like after something you haven't written for a while. You get something that's that's telling you, like, Julie, we need to write. We need to, we need to put out some new content, Julie. We haven't written in a while. What's going on with this writer's block? Is this the ghost of Hunter S. Thompson calling me? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. I'm glad that you are calling into the show as well. I, I wonder what it's, you know, looking down on journalism, I 
don't understand how things went so wrong. I would love some guidance in terms of what the fuck to do now that there's no business. Well, Julie, you must keep writing. You must keep putting good energy out into the world. Otherwise, the negative will consume you, and the writer's block will set in forever. And then you shoot yourself in the face to get rid of it? I may have done that as the ghost of a hunter as Thompson. So you're not recommending that as a no, way out? No, I actually quite regret doing it that way. It was very unfortunate the way things happened. I could have put out much greater work as the years went on, I believe. Uh, were you not incapacitated by all the drugs and your failing body and... I mean, I feel like I could have maybe pushed through it a little bit more, but then maybe that's me in hindsight. Hindsight is, you know, sometimes really frustrating. It's hard to look back sometimes and be like, I would have done this or I would have done that. You know what I'm saying? I think you're talking about Johnny Depp, right? Maybe. Great films that guy makes. I mean, especially now, he's really just committing to every role that's given his way. And I appreciate that as a fellow creator. Well, there was the whole, like, beating his wife charge, but I know that you guys were, like, bros. I mean, you know, you win some, you lose some. Sometimes, you know, you don't really know what's going on behind closed doors. And other times, you're like, this one's for me, that one's for you. You know what I'm saying? battle is definitely one for me. That's uh, never going to make any money, but I'm still going to do it. I, I, I know that spirit you're talking about, Hunter. Yes, sometimes you have to cling towards and gravitate towards the things that you know are just purely a passion project. And hence my entire career. <laughs> well, I've got to go back into the ethers of the dark place. I shall talk to you again, or maybe not. Yes, please don't come into my brain anymore. It's terribly... Uh, Frightening and not helpful. All right, goodbye, Julie. Bye, Hunter. I mean, the reach that this podcast has is unbelievable. It's beyond I, the grave. I mean, I can't believe that Hunter S. Thompson's ghost just called in. Very cryptic. I wonder why his voice got lowered as the years went on. You know what I mean? Very interesting. Very Definitely interesting. drugs. It's probably he probably is probably vocal fry from the different drugs and stuff. It probably his esophagus got whiskey. Whiskey. It kind of rotted out the the bile coming back up from vomit. It like low, <laughs> lowers the octave of your voice. Actually, uh, science. Science, right? I actually had Stevo on this podcast, and uh, he said that uh, he is not. He's been advised heavily by doctors to no longer throw up because he his uh, he's almost gotten uh, throat cancer multiple times because he's thrown up so many times for jackass over the years, whether it be goldfish or just like make himself puke, <laughs> random stuff up. But the bile and the stomach acid that lines your stomach, like the amount of times he's thrown up, that's like part of the reason why his voice sounds like this, you know? How does one almost get cancer several times? I mean, I think that it's like one of those things where, you know, when you have like a, a black liver or like it's like you start getting like they start looking at it and they're like, uh, you're on the border of like precancerous. You're precancerous. Okay. Like, I think that they kind of warn you and then you back off and then you kind of forget about that 
advice and then you go back to doing it and then they're like no really you were on the right track but seriously so 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 he said whenever he's on he's like no i only uh i only threw up now uh for special occasions <laughs> i was like that's amazing birthdays anniversaries <laughs> yeah, that exactly. kind of thing. you know kids parties that pay a lot <laughs> you know <laughs> um that's way yeah you go back i i've almost healed my throat myself this time i'm gonna go back to drinking and throwing up and goldfish and yeah nope didn't heal the throat myself Mm-mm. <laughs> so i have to ask you this what was like what's the first thing that you consider like an article or or something that you wrote that you were like really excited and proud of that you got like a little bit of like like a head nod or notoriety for where, where you're like i'm on like a good path here or like this is really like this is a reassuring moment for me you know yeah i mean i hate to keep hitting the david tell path over and over but uh i started professionally writing you know graduated college and moved to new york in january 2003 and in february 2003 i pitched las vegas weekly as a freelancer because i had a connection through an old professor of mine the fact that uh, Dave was going to be in Vegas filming an episode. So I wrote a piece about David Tell and how he's actually really sad inside, which at the time was like, whoa, comedians are really sad. I don't know if anyone knows this except me. And now, obviously, everybody knows it. But at the time, and when I sold it, which was eventually how I got the job because I kept freelancing for him over and over and they liked my stuff. Uh, yeah, I was like, I'm writing about this guy who got me into comedy and comedians are sad and I'm telling people and I'm going to do more of this. So how long after did, did you write that article after he performed at Mizzou? Probably about six months or so. Oh yeah? Yeah. So you made the connection kind of right away. You're like, yo Dave, I want to write something about you. And he's like, uh, okay. Yeah. I made sure to hit the comedy cellar when I moved it to new york and like hey you remember me the drunk girl from missouri yeah. with the jaeger and the jaeger uh <laughs> and kind of made sure he knew that yeah i've now graduated and i'm an adult and i'm a professional six months later and actually it you know it could have gone very badly i could have not been able to sell the piece or it sucked or something but uh, it was good, and uh, actually I got a relationship with Comedy Central out of it, too, because Jack Vaughn was running Comedy Central Records at the time, and it was also a news peg. Not only was he going to be in Vegas, but at the same time as Skanks for the Memories came out, mm-hmm. and he did a signing at the Virgin Records in Times Square when that was still a thing, and Jack Vaughn was there. And he kind of like, hey, this kid likes comedy and she seems to know how to talk to people who are comedians only. And yeah, he was one of the very first people who treated me with way more respect than I was due at that point. Yeah. He, I don't know if he saw something in me or whatever, but, uh, and to this day, you know, I'm going to go to New York later this week to do some promo for this book and Jack and I are having lunch. That's awesome. And I forgot what the original question was, but it was just one of those things of like everything kind of worked out early on and, you know, didn't always stay that way, but enough to the point of like, yeah, I, I think I can do something here with the fact that no one else is writing about comedy in a, you know, kind of from a critical capacity. It was Mm -hmm. always 
shoved in with like the music listings and calendar stuff. Right. No one actually treated it like an art, like film or music. Okay. So that was the thing that I set out to change. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you ever... (laughs) Mixed results. Oh, I think, uh, you know what? I think uh, Jack is actually calling in right now. Uh, Hello, uh, Jack. Um, Are you calling in to Jeremiah Wonders? Hey, is Julie Seabaugh on the line? Hey, Jack. How's it going in New York City where you're located? New York City's fantastic. I just want to tell you, whenever I first saw you, kid, I thought you had moxie. I thought, I thought, this girl, she's going to lasso the moon, put it in a pocket, and then write about it. That's why I treated you with the utmost respect, see? Oh, thanks, Jack. I, I hope to pay you back for that someday by writing your biography about how your dad was uh, the head of the, uh, of, I'm forgetting the name of it at the moment. Head, the head of the mob, yeah. The, <laughs> the guy, the Peace Corps, the Peace Corps. And the Peace Corps. He was a very, uh... He was busy. He was very dexterous, as I'd say. A lot of, a lot of spinning plates on this guy. Yeah, so when you grew up in South America, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of interesting stories there about how you, you know, your family, like, stole cable so you could watch comedy and you had to hide out in the basement when the terrorists came. Stuff like that I think would make a good movie. It was pretty cool. I met a guy named Pibla. We, we caught the cable to cut it together and then we wired it back to our house and boom, lickety split, splash, splash, splat, we got, we got cable on our television. Wow. Oh, how we've come so far over the years with this technology and stuff. Yeah, and it's uh, been nice to see you kind of work your way up the ladder from, you know, Comedy Central Records up through Comedy Dynamics, and now you're the head of all the comedy at Sirius XM, which is a real thing. Well, yeah, I heard that you're going to do Nikki Glaser's show sometime later in the week. That's very exciting. Next Monday, actually. Next Monday. Well, I'll look out for you on that. Well, keep the continued success up, kid, and I can't wait to see you in the big New York Apple City. (laughs) Thanks, Jack. Always a pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. That guy sounds like a peach. A peach of a human. So you could tell why I definitely wanted him to help me, for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, there's so much energy there. There's so much charisma. And it just sounds like uh, he just has a story to tell, you know? And I'm glad that you're going to be covering that later. But yeah, it's, that's actually a real thing. Like, I definitely want to, you know, he's on the list to have another book. Too that I you know I want to do one on Byron Bowers. I that's an interesting dude right there. Oh my gosh, he's He's got a story. Yeah, I mean that guy. He's so funny too. Let's not share any details about it whatsoever. No, just look up Byron Bowers and (laughs) you'll you'll figure it out. But yeah, he's uh drugs. There's a lot. There's just a lot to draw from there. Schizophrenia. Mm Mm-hmm. Poverty. Yeah. More drugs. The big four. <laughs> now, have you ever written a review of somebody that was maybe a little disparaging of them or it was like maybe a negative comment or something and they took it very seriously because comedians, believe it or not, were sometimes a little sensitive. Oh. I know. Sometimes uh, sometimes the stuff gets to us a little bit. So uh, I definitely... I'm definitely curious about that. If if you writ, wrote something that you're like, oh, they'll never see this, or or this is just how you happen to feel whenever you're writing it, and then they reached out, or you heard through the grapevine that they were upset about something. Yeah, I have a really good example of that. Uh, when I was at Las Vegas Weekly, the 
com- the comedy festival is what it was called was it caesars sponsored by hbo this would have been the second year so i'm thinking 2007 also mm-hmm. and uh this was during tourgasm when dane cook went out on a bus with robert Kelly, Gary Goldman, and Jay Davis, mm-hmm. if I've got it correctly no, in my comedy brain. That is correct. And they did a show in the Coliseum at Caesars. And during the show, a drunk woman was kind of wooing and tossed a one of those plastic beer bottles kind of in the air. And it landed on stage when Dane Cook was on. And he's like, hey, stop the show. What's happening? Who did that? Security. I'm not going to stand for any of this. And it just brought the whole room to like, uh, like, uh, why is this such a big deal? She's clearly, she wasn't like throwing it at him. Like purposely. Yeah. She was just drunk and stupid in Vegas and, you know, not <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like a George Bush shoe incident that was like right. aiming it directly for Dane. She did not have uh, that much disdain for his comedy act. At that point in time. And uh, so I was covering it, obviously, as someone who covered comedy. And I wrote about this thing happening. Like, here's a thing that happened with a lady in a beer bottle and Dane Cook and whoa. And he wrote in back when there were letters to the editor and said that I had it all wrong. And he didn't understand how I could not respect his needing to protect his fans i'm getting the wording wrong something about how could you not understand that my fans are the most important thing to me and you're going to go under the heading of yellow journalism on my website yellow journalism was muckraking it's an old term when journalism was a thing uh tabloidy basically is the definition Uh. i'm like yeah you have a yellow journalism tab on your website all right and it never showed up it never nothing ever happened but i printed that letter and i still have it to this day because it was awesome that's kind of great that's like a that's like a smithsonian document like that's 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 pretty cool i have hate mail from dane cook i love that (laughs) that's so great uh let's get into this next segment called fanning out I reached out to people on the internet and they reached back to me. I said, if you could ask Julie Seabaugh any question, what would it be? Scared. Right. Here we go. We've covered a little bit uh, about this, but uh, with this first question, but pick and choose what you want to answer at Duster on Instagram. What's it like to be a writer in the digital age where anyone can put anything out into the web? How should aspiring writers go about getting into the mainstream and making a go at a career? Also, weirdest person or circumstance for an interview. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a three-parter. So we'll go with the first Ooh. part uh, right now, the writing in a digital age where anybody can put out stuff and kind of self-proclaim themselves as journalists or writers with the power of creating their own websites you know yeah or thinking that blogging is you know real news is real news or journalism yeah yeah i mean there are obviously legitimate news sites that have blogging elements to them but it's not like babe.net is (laughs) a real hard-hitting journalism site when they talk about aziz ansari uh, you know, it would have been treated a bit differently with the New York Times uh, and essentially an ord. 
which I think it should have been. Uh, the question as it stands, how to make a career in the digital age, uh, is something I'm still struggling with myself. I started when, you know, comedy job or sorry, journalism jobs were a thing. You could be a staff writer somewhere for your entire career and make a good living at it and go out on the town at night and hobnob and be invited to Truman Capote's black and white ball and have all of these movies made about your daring, you know, chasing the story type things. People aren't really making movies about bloggers these days. (laughs) (laughs) She's fearless. (laughs) Um, Actual advice, right. Um, At this point, it definitely has to be for the love of what you're writing about. It's not about the money. Mm-hmm. There are obviously other ways you can branch out. Like I'm, I'm definitely, people have said, why have you not started a podcast? That's what you should be doing. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I should probably be doing that. It's, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get to it. Now that I'm done with this thing, I'll give it some more thought. Uh, but it really, I think, is a matter of, and I'm guilty of, not doing this myself, I really am, of keeping up with the current trends. I don't want to say trends, but evolution of technology. It's a lot. It's a lot to keep up with all the different social media platforms and just to keep content going. Yeah, it's it's a lot. <laughs> I definitely think finding your niche is a way to make yourself stand out from the pack. You know, if you're just pitching about it, everything to everyone i can't see how that would not be insanely overwhelming Mm -hmm. Uh, so as long as you have something you want to be an expert on and you find the right outlets that you can stand the way they edit your pieces and don't you know butcher them in the process that's the only thing i think you can keep doing and just prove yourself to be someone who knows what they're talking about and knows how to treat both their subjects and subject matter, which are definitely two different things. Um, you know, when you're talking to someone or how to write about it, um, are two different things. Um, just, I don't know, make it good. (laughs) Don't suck. This is terrible advice, but again, I, you know, I'm still struggling with it myself. Um, And I don't know if there is still a career in it, but there's certainly a lot of passion in it, for me at least. Mm -hmm. So good luck out there. (laughs) Let me know how it goes and tell me what you did right. Report back soon. Please. Did you have have a a weird person or circumstance for an interview? Somebody that uh, was hard, a very difficult interview, or just something weird that happened during something? Uh, worst interviews ever would be Roseanne (laughs) (laughs) on the phone again for Las Vegas. Everything's for Las Vegas weekly. Uh, on the phone, she was doing a date there and she was either driving to the airport or driving from the airport and gave me like one word answers to questions. I think she's actually calling into the show right now. Uh, Julie, if if you're okay with taking it, uh, I'm going to put. Uh, Roseanne through. Hello, Roseanne. Hey, is this, uh, is this Julie Seaman? Uh, 
Roseanne, I, I'm sorry about your show getting canceled. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> One word answers. I remember, I remember conversation with you that was a lot like this with yeah, one me, word answers. Me too. Yeah. Hey, uh, do you still want me to get you a job at babe.net? That's a tough call, Roseanne. All right, offer rescinded. I mean, is there health insurance? Is there a long-term uh, mobility options? There could be. Hey, do you want to write uh, uh, about my sitcom? Do you want to do an article about me again? I mean, I certainly have talked to Morgan Murphy about it a little bit. Wait, what'd she say? What'd she say about me? I don't think she's a fan. Why not? How do you not like me? <laughs> I think it has something to do with, uh, I don't know, your attitude towards your workers and also people who are not white. I like whites more than the others. Is that a problem? I mean... Oh, wait, should I not have said that? In this day and age, it's it's tough to really, you know, figure out what you want to say as an artist and speak from your soul to figure out what your truths are to share with the masses. I'm just being honest. I, I just like working with white people more than others. I understand there's a market for that. There's definitely a, a segment of the population who gravitates toward your perspective. I'm just not sure that I'm the right person to uh, capture that in a profile. All right. Well, if you want to follow me, just go to roseannebar.com, and I actually started a blog. I'm a writer now. <laughs> Aren't we all, Roseanne? Uh, I, I'm sure you'll have uh, better luck with your uh, social media followers and getting people to click on your links than I have. All right. Talk to you later, Jilly. Bye. Bye. Say, uh, say hi to John Goodman. He's from Missouri. I will. Thanks. She's just as pleasant as I remember. It's, 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 I'm glad that she took uh, time out of her busy schedule to see if uh, you could write an article about her, I guess. Maybe get your job at babe.net. We'll figure it out. Depending what the paycheck is. Also, Monique was a terrible interview. Monique? What did she do? Because she's been troublesome with the Netflix stuff lately. Like, at least <laughs> troublesome. She's just been, like, very vocal about... She's been troublesome uh, about uh, how she should be paid more for their special on Netflix for compared to all the other, like, male comics and stuff. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, you have the same attraction as, like, Chris Rock or Amy Schumer. Give me a freaking break. Yeah. Um, when I talked to her, I don't... I, don't even remember what it was for probably a tour date somewhere and i was asking her about her live show because it was described in the press releases like a circus of some sort i think and there were a couple special guests and i was asking how it all comes together i think this mm -hmm. was a long time ago and um i i, I asked something to the effect of you know, so it's still just people doing jokes or are there different elements happening? Is it, you know, visual stuff? And she's like, girl, have you ever been to a stand-up show? <laughs> I'm like, 
Yeah, I've been to a stand-up show. Yeah, I've covered uh, about a million of them, Monique. Yeah, like, I've, I think there was a kind of honest question, to, you know, based on what the press release said. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, yeah, I've, I've, I've covered comedy yeah, a little bit. That's, that's just bit, like asking somebody, so. like, do you even interview? It's like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I also interviewed uh, Ron Schock. If you know Ron Schock, he was in the Bill Hicks group. Uh, started out down in Houston, Texas, and mm-hmm. then he was in Vegas because he was a degenerate gambler. And I interviewed him for a piece about Sam Kinison's death on the 15th anniversary of it outside the, oh God, what was the casino? One of the terrible outskirts casinos, you know, fourth tier down uh, in the parking lot in his car smoking pot. That was a good one. That was a good one. He's dead now. Hmm. <laughs> uh, so this next question comes from Twitter. This is a pretty good question. It's interesting. At Jared, not Gerard or Jared spelled differently. Um, how can I be taken seriously as a writer when I wear snapbacks, Jordans, and chains? Serious question. All the writers I meet look like hipsters and I'm not. What's snapbacks? It's Sorry. like a, it's a, it's what I'm wearing actually right now. It's like, it's a hat that snaps in the back rather than being uh, fitted. I'm not up on my hat culture. Uh, so a hat and chains and sneakers. So he basically has style, like a certain style. And he's, I guess he's feeling that he's not being taken seriously because he doesn't look like maybe some other, the conventional writers that he might see in some of the other writers rooms. Right. Yeah. Uh, wait, writer's room? Like a sitcom writer? I don't know. I, I, journalism I just, writer? Well, he just said, all the writers I meet look like hipsters, and I'm not. So I just assume maybe a writer's room, but I don't know. It could just be in general, the, the writers that he's meeting maybe typically look a certain way. Right. Well, I'm certainly nobody's style icon. Uh, I mean, <laughs> come on. Uh, I tend to, I don't know if you've, Noticed outside the house, I tend to wear a lot of black stripes and, uh, you know, gray stripes, uh, sometimes white stripes, uh, black shoes. If it's an edgy weekend, (laughs) maybe a red stripe. (laughs) (laughs) That red coach t-shirt I have is like the only color in my closet. Oh, yeah? That's, I swear to God, because I don't like thinking about matching stuff. It's just, you know, a, a... hassle in my brain so, when I'd rather be writing about So it. maybe you are one of the people that he's talking about that uh, he feels like he's maybe over-styled or over-dressed around. So how, how, do, how, would, he, how would he get uh, respect from uh, other writers, like be taken seriously if he's dressing that way? It's just got to be his content, right? And always the way you carry yourself definitely has a lot to do with it too when you're confident in the fact that you are a professionalist professional journalist and you know what you're doing and you're on a story uh, no matter how many comedy store door guys try to keep you out because you're a girl oh, i'm sorry you're not a girl are you that's a whole other yeah that's that's another story about uh oh you're here to meet who are you hooking up with them no i'm writing about them uh, so anyway, to answer what, the that question, was, that was a legitimate question you got asked once at the store. 
I, um, it has happened in the store and it definitely happens, not the same wording, but a lot of times if I come in and say, I'm a writer, I'm looking for Mark Marin or whoever. Yeah. It's like, they think I'm trying to hook up with whoever I'm asking gotcha. for. That yeah. happens a lot. Really? Like, I'm, hey, is Mark Marin around? I'm supposed to meet him here. I am I'm writing like, an yeah. article about him. Yeah. That, that, that's Weird. a thing. That's a girl journalism problem Mm. uh but i definitely to answer the question um being confident in what your purpose is for being there and your abilities and your position i just you know who cares what they think it's just a matter of not letting anyone stop you from doing it i guess there's I don't know. It, it. I think it's part of a wider problem, not necessarily journalism specific, that, yeah. to judge people on things like that. And yeah, if you make a reputation for yourself, no matter what they think about the way you're dressed, there's no way that they can stop you from hooking up with Mark Marin. <laughs> and that's some solid advice. For right whatever there. purpose you're there for. Yeah. Um, at Hideously Normal. What are your thoughts on modern day PC culture and its effects on the comedy scene at large? Yeah, that's always the question. Boy, howdy. Uh, Getting in that Missouri accent again. (laughs) Y'all. I think, and again, I think it's part of a larger society thing that's not comedy specific necessarily where everybody is very sensitive to everything. Uh, people can be offended by words without understanding the meaning behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Robin Tran piece for the Hollywood Reporter that I did, you know, I said Robin Tran is okay with transgender jokes for reason X, Y, Z. And I definitely saw a lot of stuff that just knee jerk reaction to trans nope that's a boy that's bad you can't nope and it's like but if you read it and kind of understand what the person's yeah trying to say from their perspective a lot of it's empathy uh when you're talking about comedians who are trying to speak you know speak their truth truth to power and all that good stuff uh you have to understand that a lot of it can be work in progress and will get edited heavily over time. Yeah. And there are a lot of magical things about being in a room where comedy is happening on this one night only and this crowd only. And it's never going to happen exactly like this again. But you also have the negative side of like, oh, I saw this one thing that kind of sort of offended me and now I hate comedy yeah yeah i think it's teaching people that we do use laughter i'm not a comedian but uh, somebody who is in i guess the comedy community or appreciates it who really appreciates comedy uh we use laughter to work through a lot of shit absolutely uh i mean roast battle is the number one perfect example it's the epitome of that of working through dark things in your past uh things that you currently maybe are struggling with or going through and just like addressing that demon and what i always liked about the show was the fact that even if you're in the audience 
and uh, like I'm the number one audience member there is, that you watch these people who aren't afraid to talk about their shitty relationships or their dead relatives or, you know, who they've, you know, done terrible things to in the past, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And sit there and recognize the fact that it's really brave of them to kind of put themselves out there as an example of the fact that we're all just human. We all have shit we hate about ourselves and we all don't like it. And the only thing we can do as human beings is kind of laugh about it together. Like we're all terrible and we're all flawed. Why not just celebrate it? Like yeah. Rose Battle does. Yeah. I don't know. That was the thing that I was like best about it that really captures the core of comedy as a whole. And I think as people get more educated about comedy, which is definitely happening because people do care about comedy now, which they didn't when I started writing about it, uh, through podcasts, through, you know, everybody, (laughs) through blogging too, I guess. But (laughs) people know a lot more about it now as a craft mm-hmm. and i think the next step will be knowing more about it as an art and philosophy in a way to kind of figure out why like figure out the thinking behind the jokes and again recognize that like we're all just trying to work through some shit some people do it on stage some people do it in alcohol i i do think it's going to get better that it is just a phase. I think that shows like Roast Battle are helping that. And even if comedy does change completely, there's not going to be a way to, you know, if it goes completely hipstery and safe and, and all that stuff, there's not going to be a way to get rid of that core element that is the reason it exists in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know if it might become sort of a minority perspective you know like you know blue comedy is so edgy again like it was in the 70s or something i don't know it's still too early to say it but big picture i don't think it's going to be possible to ever get rid of that core you know just humanizing element completely yeah all right that makes sense i talked a lot It was good. It was all stuff that I was like, eh, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. Sounds okay. <laughs> it sounds right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question. You know Red Band, right? Yes, I do. Red Band, <laughs> Red Band <laughs> really wanted me to ask, are you ticklish? <laughs> oh. uh, yes, I, yes. Uh, Yes, I am. There you go, Red Band. He he asked that on so many guests, and you're the first guest <laughs> that I that I asked it. But before. I was also trying to think when could I have possibly been tickled last, and I have no idea. Well, as an adult, you don't really get tickled very often. Like, and when you like, whenever somebody does, it's pretty weird. <laughs> it's pretty like if somebody's like, yeah, and you're like, what's happening right now? <laughs> I'm having the weirdest flashback right now. It's like, what if I touched another human being? Hmm. Let's see. In a playful manner. Hmm. Doesn't come to mind. No. I don't think tickling is encouraged with the current uh, movements that are going on, too, right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a you know mutually respective, agreed upon. Yeah, like, I will not tickle you. <laughs> Unless you specifically ask Unless for it. I get <laughs> written <you> consent <laughs> that I can tickle you, and then I will tickle you. Or, or else you're going to get written up on 
babe.net babe.net inappropriate tickling new sponsor of jeremiah wonders babe.net that would be awesome (laughs) (laughs) this brings us to our final segment sax talk all right julie you're going to share a story of some kind of sexual encounter and i'm going to play some sweet sweet sax underneath well here's the answer i came up with uh I'll uh, I'll give you some options here because I love options. <laughs> I'm not a comedian, and I feel weird about. Sh- I don't know. That's more of a comedian thing to talk about in certain ways. To talk about a sex I, story. Well, it could to be- make it to make it a okay. So here's a story about a thing that happened to me, and it's crazy, right? Well, I mean, if. Honestly, the sax usually makes it crazier than it is by by uh, by pumping in sax in between you setting the table for the story. So, well, I and, I and I'm thinking about this, you know, and I was like, well, there's the thing with the vomit, and then there was the thing with the feces, and then there was <laughs> the thing where I accidentally went to work with some jizz on my neck. Um, and <laughs> all of these sound incredible. But then I was like, well, maybe he can twist the rules a little bit and I could tell like a really drunk story. You could, but the vomit or the jism on the neck is that sounds pretty funny. Like that sax would go pretty well with either of those. The really drunk story involves the comedy seller and Dave Chappelle. Is that okay? Does it does anything sexual happen in that or is it just a just I cry. A, <laughs> I mean Share whatever you're comfortable with sharing, and then uh, I'll. Uh, I mean, it doesn't. I guess it technically doesn't have to be be sexual because there's still a sax involved and there's still talking involved. So there you go, Julie Seabaugh opening new doors on this show. I think it's like adjacent, you know, like really drunk at a comedy club. It's kind of like sex, right? Sure. For me, anyway. Yeah, let's go with it. All right, New York City, two thousand four. This would have been the year anniversary of the 2003 New York City blackout. August, crazy hot. And uh, being the anniversary of the blackout, people were, I don't know, wanting to celebrate it in some way, as one does with blackout anniversaries. So I started uh, my comedy night at Siberia Bar which was a kind of red-lit venue in Hell's Kitchen with a basement that looked like uh, someplace you'd perform illegal abortions. Had a few uh, early show drinks there. Uh, I believe they were kamikaze shots, if I recall correctly. The host of the show was a guy named uh, Clonin. He was a Conan O'Brien impersonator. Good pal of mine. He liked getting people drunk. So, uh, from there, I went to the comedy cellar with a couple of friends that I don't remember where they came from because I'd already been drinking. But uh, I, nevertheless, I rounded up, up and we went to the cellar. And I was already pretty good about getting in there, so we got a table up front, 
where uh, Dave Chappelle did a surprise set. Uh, he was talking about Rick James, I remember. Just kind of riffing and talking about his friendship with him, was playing around on the piano a little bit for like two hours. Had some more drinks. Had a lot of drinks. Uh, this was the anniversary of the blackout, after all. You gotta celebrate it. Uh, and at some point, my friends decided to leave. Pretty drunk by this point. Uh, definitely a couple pitchers in at the cellar follow, you know, following the kamikaze shots at Siberia. And somehow I got stuck with the bill. And, uh, womp womp, uh, I, uh, decided that instead of paying the bill, as drunk as I was, didn't really matter, because I was cool at the comedy cellar, and I would leave. In hindsight, not the best decision. Uh, so, uh, I go out into the little hallway there, and if you're familiar with the comedy cellar layout uh you're underground and there are two stairways on either side of you one goes up into the olive tree cafe the other goes to the street uh i tried to go up the one leading to the street running away from paying my bill and fell down the stairs and i was at the bottom of the stairs crying drunk a mess and who comes down the stairs from the Olive Tree Cafe, but you're here on mine, David Hell. Apparently my friends had gone to get him because I was too drunk to handle myself. Boy, howdy, that was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely my worst drunk story ever. Uh, I was so freaking embarrassed, and now Chappelle is coming out of the room, and I'm in a heap at the bottom of the stairs to the street, crying and drunk and miserable. I, uh, turned around and ran back out the stairs again and did not go back to the comedy cellar for six months. Uh, people around town would see me and say, hey, heard about you at the comedy cellar. <laughs> And when I finally went back again with my tail between my legs, they're like, you going to pay that bill? I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> and that's my drunkest story ever. Not very sexy, but... Uh, but it was very sexy. It was indeed. And there was comedy and there was crying and a and lot of emotion. And there was Dave Chappelle and there was Dave Attell and there was the comedy cellar. There was skipping out on bills. There was scandal and scandal. chaos. Chaos. And yeah. I apologize to Attell for that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that one time. Uh, yeah. I drank a lot back uh, then. Attell has been a, uh, a nice uh, through line of this podcast. Good moments with that guy. Yeah, he definitely had a bigger influence on my career than anybody from getting me into it to just continually keeping me inspired by everything he comes out with is pretty great he's a perfectionist like he still has not put out another album since skanks for the memories because mm -hmm. he wants it to be so good and he just can't ever commit it to i like i love that yeah yeah and he's sad 
So relatable on all ends. Well, Julia, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. And uh, you guys can check out Ringside at Roast Battle, the first five years of L.A.'s Fight Club for Comedians by Julie Sebaugh. Uh, you can order a hard copy or you can uh, get a digital copy on Amazon. Is that correct? Amazon.com is where Amazon. it is available. Com. Yes. Heck yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, going to be important in the future. We'll see. Your uh, your order may help. Yours truly is in it, Jeremiah Watkins. You are quoted. I'm quoted, so pick up a copy today and check out uh, Julie on social media. What are you on uh, Twitter and Instagram? Uh, yeah, Julie Seaball on all the things. I also just remembered, uh, I remember when I like followed up with you on email like hey did you pull the rabbit out of jamar's ass or did he pull the rabbit out of your ass that's a question you'll have to read about yeah look it up now thanks so much for coming on thank you for having me of course